Welcome back to the Starbase Indie Podcast, where we talk to and about people who are inspired by Star Trek or science fiction to work towards hopeful futures in the real world. I am here with E.S. Fine, and let's start by having you introduce yourself. Sure. Um, so I am predominantly an author of science fiction. I write speculative fiction as well. Um, I currently have two novels out. One of them is A Dream of Waking Life, um, and the other one, my first novel is Points of Origin. Um, and then I have two short story collections. I'm pretty new to the authoring scene. Um, I've only really published for the last like five years, even though I've been writing for, you know, 25 years, something like that. Um, I only really started taking myself seriously as an author about five years ago. Outside of that, pretty active on social media. And I just started, like we were talking about before, going to conventions. Um, so kind of going out and meeting my readers and actually getting on the floor and getting my books out there. It's been going really well so far. Fantastic. So your author bio says you write science fiction, speculative fiction, and fantasy. So tell me a little about how you differentiate between those things. Okay, I'm sure it's very controversial, and I'm sure many people will disagree with me. But the way I view it is speculative fiction is kind of a branch of science fiction. It's specifically the type of science fiction that asks the big questions, the big what ifs, but more specifically tries to imagine, hey, in a very, very realistic sense, what will happen in the future? What could our future very realistically look like without the spontaneous creation of FTL, faster than light travel or something like that? Okay. Something extremely, extremely centered in our current reality. Um, whereas fantasy to me, I love fantasy, but it requires far less foundation in our reality. You can get away with explaining things genuinely with magic. You can just kind of give it another name and that'll be okay with fantasy fans. They're totally okay with that sci-fi fans are not okay with that you need to be meticulous in your explanations and it needs to be extremely extremely well thought out maybe not i shouldn't even say well thought out because fantasy does too it's got to have its own internal logic but sci-fi has to it's got to hit all the check marks with current science or you will get destroyed like they just people will come after you i've seen it <laughs> so what authors would you say influenced your writing the most so when i was younger um I started getting into the realm of speculative fiction and sci-fi with Asimov. And mm -hmm. I'm sure that's going to be the case with a lot of people. He just, his writing is everywhere. We know that. But the first author that really blew my mind and, and showed me that literature and writing can go in any direction. You can kind of do whatever you want with it was Philip K. Dick. And I, I had never read anything like him. And to this day, I, I don't, I've never really encountered writing any, any even remotely like him. Um, Outside of that, um, some of my favorites are Arthur C. Clarke. He's another well-known one. Clifford D. Simak. Um, another great one is Greg Bear. I really, really like his more introspective writing. Um, yeah, I, I, honestly, I could probably go on forever. Ursula K. Le Guin. Uh, I, I, I read so much. I probably read like three or four books a week. And I've been doing that for the last like 15 years. So it, that's a lot, of, a lot of writing and a lot of different authors. What are you reading now? Um, I'm just about to start. Um, the new Andy Weir book, uh, Project mm -hmm. Hail Mary. Yeah, yeah, um, I just read that recently. Oh, what did you think? I enjoyed it. It's up for a Hugo for Best Novel this year. I see why it's, why it's nominated, and I, I enjoyed it. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I just finished reading, just a few days ago, uh, Remembrance of Earth's Past, uh, the Chinese series by, I, I, I'm going to butcher his name, Shikshin Lu. It's like something like that. I'm not going to try to correct you because I don't know. Okay. How to say <laughs> the first, it's, you know what? It's more well known by its first book's title. It's called The Three Body Problem. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible yeah, series. We're talking about it. I just wasn't going to try to pronounce <laughs> it. <laughs> we're 
where I might be recorded, you know? <laughs> that was a good call. That was a good call. Probably get called out on that one. Yeah. Um, um, hopefully not. We have pretty friendly fans. Good. Good. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, not just books, but what stories most captured your imagination when you were younger? Actually, this is a perfect fit with Starbase because my first foray into any type of sci-fi was Star Trek. Um, before I even really understood what I was watching, I would sit with my grandpa and he was obsessed with Star Trek, specifically uh, Jean-Luc Picard, Captain Picard. And I, I just I thought Picard was the coolest guy on planet Earth, specifically in his approach to other species. He it wasn't a, a story about war and conquering, which is pretty much that was everything. Even the, you know, cartoons that I would watch as a kid, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers. It's just about fighting and, you know, taking down the bad guy. Instead, Jean-Luc Picard said, why would we take down the bad guy? Let's create allies and let's create community. I, I was that was so cool. Um, so my first foray was definitely Star Trek. Um, outside of that, mostly I started with fantasy when I was young. I really didn't read any type of sci-fi outside, of, you know, outside of watching shows about sci-fi. Um, and the fantasy that I would read was, uh, I have to say Lord of the Rings. I, as a kid read Lord of the Rings nonstop. I thought it was so cool that this guy could, Tolkien could create this language system and this lore and, I read the Silmarillion and me and my buddies would straight up study the Silmarillion and try to know every bit of lore about it. It was very fun. You're um, one of those then. Yes, I'm one of those. <laughs> Reading your bio, actually, it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> and I'll have questions later on that'll get into exactly why, but yeah. Perfect. And so um, you have, you've given speeches across the country. What are your favorite topics to talk about? My favorite topic of all time is lucid dreaming. Um, I've actually done many Reddit AMAs that have gotten very, very blown up, gone on the front page of Reddit um, about lucid dreaming. Uh, I've been a lucid dreamer since I was 13, and lucid dreaming has been a very significant part of my life, um, got me over a lot of fears, a lot of troubles in life. Um, and outside of that, it's just very fun. So I, I love to be able to share that with people. It's not something I'd even make money on or anything like that. I wrote a free guide uh, like 11 years ago that I posted to Wonderaggressive, a website that I built. Um, and it's been viewed millions of times now. Um, I've been, people have reached out to me tens of thousands of times, and I think it's a really cool, it's just something I do on the side. I help people with their lucid dreaming and to my surprise to stop lucid dreaming. Uh, I, I didn't know that, but a lot of people, they have like issues with lucid dreaming too much and they want to turn it off. So that's something I've learned uh, to help people with as well. Um, outside of lucid dream. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Tell Back up a second and explain for anyone who doesn't know what lucid dreaming is. Oh, I take for granted. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so a lucid dream is a dream in which you know you're dreaming and you have full control of that dream. The uh, book I just wrote called A Dream of Waking Life, that's what it's all about. It's about my own experiences during lucid dreaming told in a creative tale through specific characters. Um, so yeah, in a lucid dream, you can ultimately do whatever you want. Your, your own imagination is the boundary. Um, and the more you can let go and the more you practice this and the more you, you undergo different meditative techniques night after night with frequency, you can get very, very good with uh, controlling your mind and, and testing the limits of your, of your imagination. It's a truly remarkable experience. So in addition to that, are there other topics you talk about? Yeah. So I've, I've, I've done talks on being an entrepreneur um, in the humanities field, uh, being a tutor. I, those are probably my least favorite because it's mostly just me talking about my life, which I, I'm not that excited to talk about. Uh, I'd rather I'd rather talk about other topics. And one of them being um, 
psychedelics and uh, psychonautism. So the exploration of the mind, um, whether that be through substance or meditation. Uh, nowadays in my life, I'd, I'd prefer meditation. Um, but it's a, it's a remarkable experience. And anyone that has investigated any time into psychonautism knows it's a worthwhile experience too. Uh, I think the, the ability to investigate the mind as a mind is like the ultimate experience available to us. It's experience itself. So I highly recommend that to individuals and I love talking about it. Interesting. So how does your experiences with that uh, mirror the more sort of the the popular uh, person talking about it and with the new documentary on Netflix is the Michael Pollan, right? His book on how to change your mind. And I think that's the name of the Netflix documentary. Do your views on it much align with his? So I can't speak directly to that because I actually haven't seen that. Mm -hmm. um, as, as long as it is open and and very scientifically driven, very empirically driven. I'm sure it does. Um, the moment it starts getting into mysticism, I kind of draw back a little bit. Not that there's anything wrong with that if people want to be into that. Um, but that's where I'd kind of go, uh, you, I think you maybe you're getting confused with elements of the mind itself and not understanding the mind is capable of anything. Um, so that can happen. And that's fine. I'll give you a great example of that in the lucid dreaming realm. People are very, very obsessed with the idea of astral projection. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just think it's it's a simulation, it's something the brain is is going through rather than an actual astral body, you know, leaving this physical realm. I could certainly be wrong, but if you look at the techniques for astral projection, they're basically identical to lucid dreaming. So that leads me to believe it's just very, very advanced lucid dreaming. Um, so that's a great example of, of the exploration of the mind. The moment it goes away from a science driven approach, you start losing me a little bit. So is it, is it science driven? I hope Michael Pollan show. Oh, the, I haven't seen the documentary. I did read the book and I've heard him interviewed about it. And yeah, very much. That's kind of his gig, right? He, he does research on a topic and writes about it. So yeah, okay. it's very scientifically driven. Yes. Then I'm sure we align greatly and I got to write it down. I'm going to check out that show. Thank you for the recommendation. You're very welcome. Um, <laughs> so your author bio says you enjoy writing about strange characters and strange situations. Give us an example. All right. So one of my short stories is about a sentient singularity um, that's being asked by a hyperdimensional overmind to constrict itself to create a area of infinite negative space that it can continue living inside. And I won't, I won't say anything else. Um, but another short story is a, a group of genderless, uh, featureless beings lost in a cave system attempting to explore and understand the nature of their reality and ultimately attempt to leave it entirely in so, a cave huh in a that's a very uh, cave quote unquote cave unique metaphor huh yes. <laughs> <laughs> um sentient singularity i think that might be my favorite phrase of the week <laughs> you have to check it out yeah absolutely um so however strange the situation, very frequently characters are going through that thing that Joseph Campbell calls the hero's journey. What character of yours is going through your favorite hero's journey? In my own writing or any writing? Yes, in your own writing to start with. In my own writing. I, the, my favorite hero's journey is the one that I just wrote. I, all of my writing I've ever written before, A Dream of Waking Life, I always have something like, eh, I could have done this. I could have done this. This is the first book that I, I truly feel complete and whole in. I, I think I achieved something really awesome for my own self. Um, and it is a very strange Philip K. Dickian hero's journey. 
um, in which the character has to overcome, you know, not only these environmental struggles, but himself. It's it, the ultimate question underlying the entire novel is what is real? And if you could even understand what is real, would that even have any validity? What does that even mean? What does realness even mean? Um, so I don't want to give anything else away, but it's a, it's a Alice in Wonderland, Philip K. Dickian twist on the traditional hero's journey, but it is still a hero's journey, which is kind of cool. That is cool. So in addition to your work as an author, you teach and tutor students of all ages. Yeah. So how did you get started doing that? So actually I taught English in Korea uh, with my partner and she and I were there for a year. Um, and then we backpacked around the world for a year. But while we were there, I developed my own tutoring business on the side of working in a public school. Um, actually, excuse me, it was a private hog one. Um, so on the side, I developed that business and I continued it. And I continued working online uh, while we were traveling. When I got home, I actually wasn't planning on continuing that business. But um, just very synchronistically, my wife's friend, I call her my wife or partner, I use those words interchangeably. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> we, she was also working in Korea. And she had met a woman who said, Hey, do you know someone that would want to tutor? And she said, Hey, I hated teaching, but I know a guy that loved teaching and he's very good at it. Maybe you should go to him. And so that was my first, uh, her son was my first student. And then that just spread like word of mouth. And I've had hundred, almost a thousand clients uh, since then. It's about 10 years ago. So it really was just very synchronistic. It's not something I was attempting to do. I was actually running a different business at the time. Um, but I'm very glad it happened because I love teaching. It's a in, incredible passion of mine. I, I'm so happy I fell into it. Growing up, even as a kiddo, everyone always said, you'd be a great teacher. And I was like, I'm not sure if that's a compliment, but it is a compliment. And kiddos, as a kid, you're like, no, 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 say like, I'd be a great astronaut or something, right? <laughs> but no, I, I think teachers are the, maybe the most important part of society, um, if not a very, very important part of society. And so I'm very honored to be, you know, uh, an individual that can influence kids and most importantly, can get them excited about learning, can get them excited about anything, really. It's very so what fun. Is your, what is your favorite thing to teach? My favorite of all time is biology, um, especially AP biology, just the way it's set up. Um, the reason being, it covers so many facets of different sciences. The very first chapter is atomic theory, and then the next few chapters is chemistry. So just to have a foundation in biology, you're already having to have a foundation in particle physics and chemistry, which is really cool. So having that foundation, you can then go into so many other realms. Once you have that foundation, you can start to understand who you really are as this organism within this environment. You have a better understanding of yourself, of others, it gets into psychology, it gets into future evolution. It's a very wide ranging, very broad class to teach. I think that's what excites me so much. It's not just a single thing, you know? So the wide range of things you teach, you must also love learning. Yes. What are you learning now? <laughs> what I'm attempting to learn now is cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. which I am, I would say failing at. Um, I, I don't do not fully understand it. I'm still trying to understand theoretically blockchain technology. I think, I think I understand the rudimentary aspects of it. I'd like to believe that. Um, but it's still something that confounds me. I, it makes me feel like an old man with like NFTs and stuff. I just sit there going, but why? Why are we doing this? I, I, I still get very confused with it. So that is something I'm trying to perfect and something I'm trying to grasp fully. <laughs> it's, 
possible that the issue there isn't your failure to grasp it. <laughs> that could be, I hope that's the case. <laughs> um, so you, you mentioned living in Korea and teaching there and traveling all over the world. What was your favorite place to live? My favorite place to live actually was a country called Laos. Um, not many people have been there, let alone heard of it. Um, but Laos is a very beautiful country. Um, unfortunately for a, a horrible reason, um, we, America, what we did was we would fly our planes over Laos from Thailand to drop bombs in Vietnam. And then we'd fly back and any bombs that were remaining on the planes for quote unquote safety, we would just drop it on the country of Laos. Um, and so there's like 28 million pounds of unexploded ordnance in that country. But what that translates to in terms of the ecology is you can't really touch the ecology because just walking out into the forest poses a very serious threat of blowing up. Um, so in the last like 25 years, approximately, through the efforts of many international communities, uh, including America, we have cleared out a huge, huge portion of Laos and have basically made it so that parts of it can be touristy. And so when my partner and I went there, it had only been about 10 years since it was open. And it, it is truly untouched forest. And you get to almost get a glimpse of what the world was like, you know, before humans could touch it because they haven't been able to touch it for so many generations. Um, outside of that, the people are just lovely and incredible, beautiful people, very happy. Um, but it was, it was a, one of the most interesting places I'd ever witnessed, unlike anything else I've ever seen. It was very cool. That does sound cool. So what is your favorite place to visit? My favorite place to visit would probably be Laos or Indonesia. Okay. Those two, they were just adventures. You know, it's, uh, it's very exotic, it, it, not only in the sense of like, oh, you know, we're eating different types of food. That's not the exotic part. The exotic part is, is the, the land. The land itself is just, it's unlike anything we have here in the States, uh, really in the West in general. Um, if I had to live somewhere outside of the States, definitely would be New Zealand. What an epically beautiful country. I, I like, it's hard to believe it even exists. Um, as a Lord of the Rings fan. I was going to say, and right? this has nothing to do with your Lord of the Rings fan. I swear. Me that. Okay, I believe <laughs> even, you. <laughs> even though every location we'd go to, we'd go, I think this was the Hills of Rohan. I, th I think this was it. <laughs> <laughs> but it really it was just breathtaking. You know, you could just get out of your car at any point and be like, how, how is that so beautiful? Did they set this up? Is this like a stage? This is incredible. Um, it, I would love to go back there one day. It was cool. So about a decade ago, you started a website called Wondergressive. Tell us about the website. So originally, the idea behind Wondergressive was to be writing articles basically on a daily basis, which we did for a while. Um, but the articles are science-based. Um, they are, they can be about anything. They just have to be uh, research-based and they have to have legitimate research. We had writers on for a while, um, that like, didn't fully understand that. And they would, you know, quote very unreputable sources. So there was a period there where we almost had to kind of like go through the process of like, how do you find a reputable source? Um, nowadays, since we don't really have full-time writers anymore, I only keep the website for my students and I allow them to publish their work on there. And if they ever like want to write a research paper, I'll show them the process of going through a professional publication and edit, showing them the process of editing as well. Um, but that goes into what I was talking about before, understanding how to do research properly um, and not, you know, not come up with nonsense sources. It's a, there's a science to it. You know, I think a lot of people don't realize that it's, it's harder than it, it, I shouldn't even say harder. It's more tedious and more time consuming than it looks to ensure that it is legitimate. 
So I think that's a really interesting um, description. And it's one of the things I've been doing this podcast for several months now and talking to folks who are involved in human travel and space and a, a lot of science stuff. And one of the things that keeps coming up is the sort of the, the detail orientation you have to have for a lot of scientific endeavors, right? The, in the movies, it happens really fast and you have this, this you know, article in 20 minutes and that's just not how good research-based writing happens, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's checking, double-checking, triple-checking. It's Yes, it takes a long time and, and the effort of a lot of people as well. Absolutely. So you are joining us in the Starbase Indie Vendors Room this year. Tell us what you're bringing to sell. So I will have um, my three books. I was hoping to get, I'm writing a series right now. We can always talk about that later, but I was hoping to have that book. We will not have that book yet, but I have uh, three total print books that I'll be selling. Um, we'll have shirts, we'll have mugs, we have tote bags, stickers, pens, the stickers and pens will be just given away for free. Um, I will be there. And the voice actress of my first book, and she's doing the second book as well, Dream of Waking Life, she will be there too. Um, so we'll both be at the booth. So people will be able to meet her. She's very, her name's Betty Bat. She's incredible. Um, I think that's everything though, books and merch. That seems like a good list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So uh, tell us about the series you're writing. The series I'm currently writing, I'm very excited about. Um, it's a, a Dune-like epic. Uh, <laughs> I say that in the sense of it explores, from a philosophical standpoint, the rise and falls of uh, civilization. Um, it does take place on Earth, maybe like 80 years in the future. Um, and it's written from multiple character points of view. Um, it's planned for nine books, seven main books, and two short story collections. Um, I've written a huge, huge portion of it you know, from all, all the different books I should be, I was hoping to be done with that first book. Very, very like four star base indie. It's possible. It's, it's still a possibility. I don't no, think it's going to happen though. Happen. <laughs> it's, it'll, it's right. I, I, the thing is I want to write more in the series before I release that first, just to ensure it's going to stay cemented that way. That's um, fair. But it ultimately explores the dichotomy of inequality and how wealth inequality and uh, the systems that currently be can pan out in a, in a very negative way. Um, that's how it initially portrays itself. It goes into much, much deeper territory uh, later in the series. I don't want to ruin anything, though, of course. No spoilers. Absolutely. <laughs> so you said you had just started going to conventions. Yep. So what has been your favorite thing about conventions so far? undeniably meeting people from all walks of life. And, you know, I, I, in my first convention, I was telling Betty uh, who was there with me, you know, you wouldn't expect who would actually be into the sci-fi books. You, you, you want to say, Oh, it'll be this guy or it'll be that guy. He's this guy's got like the sci-fi shirt on even it's an anime shirt, maybe no. And then this old lady will come along, you know, and she's wearing her nice jewelry and she's like, oh, I love space. Oh, my God. Anything about space. I love that. And you're like, what? Fantastic. So it totally threw a curve for me. I, I did not expect that so many, so many different people uh, would be into this genre. It was really cool to see. I'm used to being behind a screen, frankly. Um, so I don't I don't really see who's into this genre. So being able to see that it's people from all walks of life, it just made me so excited because I, I want everyone to be into sci-fi, every single person. <laughs> ideas about how the world could be different i mean what's not to love yes <laughs> so where can people find you online um so my main website is officialesfine.com 
Um, I'm also very active on Instagram. Uh, my name on Instagram is author ES fine. And that pretty much those two locations are going to cut it. That's pretty much where I am. So official ES fine implies the existence of an unofficial ES. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In fact, when we first made that site, that was almost made as a joke. We were uh -huh. like, there's, there's going to be other ES fines out there, but it's stuck. <laughs> what, would, what would, what would be on the unofficial ES fine website if it existed? Oh, the unofficial ES in my free time. And this is not something I really promote at all, but I love rapping. I've been doing that since I was very young. That would be on the unofficial ES fine site. <laughs> So are we going to get you rapping for us at Star Race Indie? I would, I would definitely be. If you guys want a rapper, I'll do it. I'll do one track. How's that? <laughs> we'll see. If we can, we'll figure out where to work that in. We're still finishing <laughs> up our programming. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. It's been absolutely, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for this. Thanks for listening to the Starbase Indie Podcast. To find more information about our live event this November, check us out at starbaseindie.org or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. See you on the Starbase!